Welcome to Nomad Yarners, the fiber arts podcast with a bit about the rest of life thrown in. Hosted by Dave and Erica, husband and wife yarn shop owners in Indiana, USA. This is episode 69, recorded the week of American Thanksgiving 2018. Today's segments include What You're Working On, Woody Knits, Sponsored Pattern, and Spinning with Dave. <laughs> Sit back, <laughs> get comfy, and enjoy the show. So, Erica, what have you been working on this week? This week I have, it's actually this two weeks, because I was on vacation in Florida at the beach last week, and we didn't do a podcast because I was too busy relaxing. Um, So I have an extra long list of things. Um, On vacation, I took a gradient shawl that I had just started right as I was getting ready to leave for it. I wanted a project that was primarily not a lot of thinking um, so that I could do it while I was on vacation. I actually got a fair amount of knitting done um, when I was there. I am really liking how it's coming out. Um, I've got it all clipped up because it's long and getting in my way and I will actually be unclipping it now so then I could admire it while I'm recording. So it is a hand spun gradient. It's about a fingering weight yarn and it goes from a very, very light, almost white purple to a very, very dark, almost black purple and through all of the middle shades of purple in between. Um, And it was fun to spin. It was a fiber optics braid, um, the one and only uh, one of those that I have ever gotten. Fiber optics is an indie dyeing uh, yarn or fiber dyeing primarily um, company that has had a booth next to us at several of the shows that we have gone to. And she then opened a brick and mortar Um, a couple of years ago, I think in Ohio. Yes, just outside Cincinnati, I believe. Yep. Um, One of these days we'll have to do a road trip. Um, And I've enjoyed, I really enjoyed the spinning on this and I have enjoyed working with it. Um, I have kind of been making an effort to actually knit up more of my hand spun um, recently just because I really like working with it and I really enjoy spinning, Um, but it's hard for me to get motivated to spin when I have a huge amount of hand spun that is just sitting on the shelf that I haven't ever used. So this gradient shawl, you're working from both ends of the gradient at once, is that correct? I am. I'm not going to talk about it yet. I'm, I want to wait until I, I can see more of the color thing happening that I want to before I commit um, to talking about it. I want to make sure that I like it before. So you're, you're teasing, it's a our, secret. You're teasing our listeners with a possible future design. It's very true. That is exactly what I'm doing. Um, so I have been doing uh, working on that. And it's probably three feet long now. Um, it's really, really coming along. It starts cool. it narrow. Me of kind of purple barcode right now. <laughs> um, it starts at the narrow and is <laughs> is getting bigger. Um, I have also finished, finished, finished the fiber seed pattern for the mitts that I have been working on and talking about for what feels like months and months. Um, they went together very quickly, uh, but it took me a while to. I kind of. When anytime I'm doing a paired thing like that, like two mitts, the first one went really quick. And then the second one, I write the pattern and then follow along with the pattern. I record all of the mini tutorial um, YouTube videos for them. And the the second one and putting all the final touches on things and weaving in the ends. Um, Always seems like it takes me six months to actually finish that part. Um, But uh, that pattern will be our sponsored pattern this week. So it is a real pattern out in the universe. And we worked with 
the Fiber Seed Yarn Company, um, and so they are releasing it as a part of their Swifties pattern launch. Um, so they're doing kind of one to two skein projects um, with indie designers uh, using their yarns, and it's been fun to fun to do that one. Um, I also am nearly done with what will become the December pattern um, that will be launched in about a month. Uh, that is a short row and basic lace uh, crescent shawl that um, I am nearly done with. That is done out of the Stargazer yarn. Um, it's a llama and silk blend. It's been laying on the table in the store all the time. Erica was away on vacation. We've had a lot of people asking about the pattern and uh, sold several skeins of Stargazer because people have been admiring the yarn. So it has a really nice feel to it. I think this one's going to be a big hit. Yep. Um, and I just have one final video to, um, to do for that one, and then I can finish it up. I'm nearly, nearly done with it. Um, then in sewing, I have done a totally new sewing uh, craft that I have never talked about on the podcast. Um, I am doing some needlepoint. Uh, to be honest, I'm not even 100% sure that that's the correct terminology. I honestly, I don't know the difference between needlepoint and embroidery, <laughs> um, which seems insane. And like, I really should know the difference between those. Um, it's probably sort of like somebody who doesn't knit or crochet, not being able to tell the difference between knit and crochet. And this was a project that you purchased on our last vacation. Is that not correct? About yes. Years ago. Yes. Poppy was less than a year old, um, eight or nine months old, I think. Um, and we went into a, a needle arts shop when we were on vacation. We were on the East Coast and they had a little tiny, um, kind of like the size of a deck of cards, little zippered pouch that was a kit and it had the, all of the floss in it, the embroidery floss and the needle um and it was printed with the um like the pattern that you were doing and so i got it and it was the perfect project to work on on that holiday uh because it was what i wanted to do who i was enthusiastic about it it was small and portable and could go in the car so and all that have stuff a big poppy on the front of it. yes and it is a poppy flower and poppy was like eight months old i did the entire poppy flower um, with all the shades of reds and pinks and oranges and, and blacks and the green stem all of that was done and then I didn't touch it from that vacation until now um, when I discovered it uh, and thought it might be a good thing to take on vacation because it would slip in my bag and it could be super super um, portable and it was perfect um, I also used it as like a little mini knitting like notions bag because I could put my little tiny pair of scissors in there and a tapestry needle um, and a stitch marker and have um, have it just be this tiny little thing so I'm enjoying doing that I have no idea what I'm doing I don't even know if it's needlepoint or embroidery or any of any of that stuff it is embroidery floss and you go in and out of a printed canvas um and it's nearly done i'm working on the background i'm more than half the way done the background is it's a white background with like black swirly curly cues on it um and it's it will be finished and then i'll have to start another one because i've kind of liked having it <laughs> Next um, vacation. yep work on it once every three years um 
the other thing that I accomplished in my sewing room, I uh, was actually before I left on vacation, but it was like three hours before I left on vacation, I finished sewing the activity bag that I wanted to make for Poppy. So I had made uh, the one-year-old a quilt slash activity mat that it was a, the quilt itself was a road, like a big circle. Um, and beside it were little pockets in the shape of houses that all had different closures to put cars into because he likes things that roll. Um, and that worked great on the airplane. Um, he had a car to hold in his hand and a blanket to cover his head so that he could fall asleep. Um, and it worked well as a toy the whole time that we were on vacation. Uh, but I wanted to make something for Poppy, the three-year-old as well. Um, and so I made her a little, um, her own like little bag that she treated as her carry-on bag. Um, it was maybe like half the size of a standard tote bag. Um, yeah, it's pretty small. It's, it's a tote bag scaled down for the size of the three-year-old. Um, and it had a little uh, pouch at the front that was divided into segments so that you could slide a crayon into each segment. Um, so she carried like 12 crayons and they really cute all in a line. I thought it was adorable. Um, and then the bag itself had like a little storybook and a little teddy bear and a couple of small packets of stickers. Um, and then on the other side, there was just a pouch with a flap that, that went very far down the pouch. So it just like gravity kept it closed. Um, and I had little small uh, letter blocks. It's actually the remnants of a boggle game um, because Poppy likes small things and letters. Um, so she had endless fun taking them in and out of the pocket um, and telling her brother that he was too small to have them. <laughs> She has very strong opinions about what her brother should and shouldn't do. And he doesn't listen at all. No. Um, so Poppy and I actually did the vast majority of the sewing for that bag together. Um, she picked out the fabric. It was Cats in Space. Sometimes I wonder a little bit about the people who design fabrics. Like, how do you come up with... The, I know what we should put on this fabric. Planets. We need something else. What else What else could go with Planets. Cats. I think Cats perhaps could they go with the planets. average toddler. <laughs> um, but Poppy picked out the fabric. She really liked the cats in space. And then the pockets are all made out of a blue fabric with sparkles on it that I had in my stash already. Um, and we sewed the little handle and we measured it against her body, how long she wanted it. And it just, it was very fun to do with her. And I feel really good about how cute the bag is. I, I really like it. And I think she will get a lot of use out of it. I think it will be a good activity bag for long car trips and, and stuff like that. She was really excited. I think she's going to carry it around all over the place. Yep. Um, I have been doing some cooking as well. Um, 100% of my cooking has been fermenting things. I'm in a very fermenting place right now, and I'm not quite sure how it happened. Um, so my Dave is rolling his eyes because he's not such a fan of the fermenting that I'm doing. And let's just say it's very hit and miss. <laughs> I, about 20% of it is delicious. And about 80% of it is very, very strange and sits in our fridge for a couple of years before we eventually throw it out. But I, what I lack in skill, I make up for in enthusiasm. Love enthusiasm. <laughs> I like making weird things. I can't help it. It's, it's my passion. 
So, the weird things of this week are... Um, I'm, I feel like we need some music or something to go over this section. I'm... <laughs> Speed up. Continuing with my kombucha adventures, and I have ramped them up a little bit. Uh, we're in full kombucha swing. Um, and that, for the uninitiated, kombucha is a mostly non-alcoholic. There is a very low percentage of alcohol, generally less than 1% alcohol, um, but it's not fermented like beer or wine would be. Um, But it is a sweet tea, just like black tea with sugar in it, um, that you then introduce a, like a mother, or it's called a SCOBY, a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Um, Bacteria like you get yogurt from, yeast like you get beer from. Um, and you, those work together and create this sort of zingy, complex tasting. It's very difficult to describe the taste of kombucha. The best description I've heard of it in the last week is that gross moldy tea. I don't think that's an accurate (laughs) description. Anyway, um, I have a two gallon vessel, um, like a ceramic crock that I'm doing a continue, continuous brew method and so that means I take out like I I pour a bottle a day kind of a thing into a bottle and then I dump in an extra cup of tea on top every day um, so that it's it's constantly producing tea but I don't have to do like a two-hour committed to thing Um, it's it's just small and often Um, I made a big batch before I left where I did bottle a bunch of it so that Dave wasn't having to deal with it while I was gone. Um, and I decided when I came home and tested it that I it hadn't gone far enough. It hadn't fermented enough. Um, and so I actually poured the six 16 ounce bottles all into a big vessel and poured in an extra couple of cups of the wild berry zinger. Um, what is it? Celestial seasonings, the tea, the flavored herbal tea. Um, and... Was it that or the sangria? Oh, it was the sangria zinger. This is a hibiscus um, based with some citrus in it. Yep, so it's a, it was a very fruity, if you've ever had any of those zinger teas, they're very fruity. Um, the sangria one is really good, that's my favourite winter drink. And so I poured some of that in, and I had already had cherry juice in, in that. Um, and I let that go for another couple of days, almost a week. Um, and it's much better now. Um, so I actually rebottled the whole big batch of that. I did like, I think, eight bottles. Um, and I put a little bit of honey in the bottom of the bottle, and you cap them off in an airtight thing that can withstand pressure. So don't do this in a mason jar because you'll make them explode. Um, I used the Grolsch style bottles we buy them from um grape fermentations a home brewing beer uh place in just the next town over in avon Do you get grolsch in the u.s they're definitely called grolsch bottles i think somewhere okay. I, i'm not sure it's a super popular style but i mean it does exist you can get anything <laughs> if you look hard enough for it um, anyways, a bottle that will withstand the pressure that is caused by carbonation. Uh, because if you put something that is going to release CO2 gases in a glass vessel that was not designed for that, you are going to have shattered glass and a giant mess. Um, so don't do that. Um, I'm all about reusing and recycling, but don't uh, do the secondary ferment uh, to add carbonation to a beverage 
in like an old pickle jar or something. It's that's not going to end well. Um, but I put you when you are doing that secondary fermentation where you you cap it closed so that it builds up the bubbles. It needs an extra sugar shot so that the all of the good probiotic stuff in there uh, has something to eat to release the CO2. So I put a little bit of honey in um, the sangria zinger cherry flavored kombucha, and I have positive feelings that this is going to work well. I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, next flavor for next week, I'm going to try lemon, ginger, and honey, uh, because that sounds good. I've had a bit of a cold this week and lemon and ginger things sound tasty. I also found a recipe for kombucha mustard. So apparently mustard is just like to make mustard. You just take mustard seed and you add vinegar to it. Like that's what mustard is. I had no idea that that was what mustard was. Um, And I have some one batch of kombucha that's like the mother that you use to start like jumpstart the next round. And that is very, very vinegary. It's not stuff that you would just drink. It wants to be extra strong. Um, And I found a recipe that recommended making mustard by instead of putting vinegar on mustard seed, putting kombucha, that super strong kombucha on mustard seed. And so I did. Um, and it smells amazing. Poppy and I tried some on pretzels this afternoon, and I will say I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. It doesn't taste, it. Doesn't taste it? as good as it smells. Because I put in a little bit of garlic and salt and honey and the mustard, the whole mustard seeds, and then some ground mustard seed powder. Um, and it smelled very almost like horseradishy. It smelled really strong. It smelled really good and, and well seasoned. It tasted funny. I don't know. Even Poppy said this has a funny taste. Um, I have to try some. I didn't know you tasted okay, it yet. Yes. Um, well, um, Dijon mustard is traditionally fermented. It uses a similar kind of setup to kombucha. So okay. theoretically it should work. Yeah, I, all of the the internet <laughs> told me it was going to work. I mean, it's not unedible. It's just not good. <laughs> um, and then I also have two batches of vegetables going. Um, one of them is one that I do all the time is red cabbage um, with ginger and cayenne pepper. Uh, this time I threw in some garlic because we got cool, fun purple garlic in our veggie box this week, and I wanted to use some. Um, we got a lot. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of garlic. Um, and I also got uh, new fermentation weights, which was which were exciting. You absolutely do not need these to do uh, fermenting, but I'm doing enough of it now that they are nice to have. So when you're doing something like the fermented cabbage, it's basically sauerkraut, just with slightly different seasonings than you would normally put in a sauerkraut. Um, you need the actual cabbage leaves to be underneath the water, um, the brine that it's, um, it's going to be fermenting in. If they are above the water, they will start to mold, um, which is not what you want in your ferments. Um, so you need to have a way to keep the bits of vegetable underneath the water. You can do this by a bunch of different things. Um, one of the, the cleverest is if you take a Ziploc bag, you put a little bit of water in it, you put the Ziploc bag down on top of the vegetables, and then you let the water spread out. It makes a seal that is the same size as whatever vessel you're using, um, and it's 
it keeps the air out. It keeps your vegetables submerged, but it's not a tight, um, like it's not like you screw the lid on, which things could, bubbles can, uh, can appear with that and you can explode your mason jars or just make a mess when your sauerkraut explodes when you open them. Um, but that water with the Ziploc bag prevents that from happening because bubbles can escape around the edge of that. But fermentation weights are like fancy and they're specifically designed to, to sit right on there and they're clear so you can still see what's going on. And then they're like the perfect size. You get them for either the wide mouth jars or the narrow mouth jars. Um, and they just, look fancier and um, the real food shop was our immediate next door neighbor um, at the shop um, here until just about a month ago when they uh, moved and they just had reopened the week before I left on vacation and larger location just down the street yeah, there are, I mean, it's still very easy walking distance to them. Um, they have way more room, and so they have a much expanded range. And they had a whole fermentation uh, corner. They had a bunch of fun things there. So I oh, really so wanted... I to Tamitha, that's where it's It's very <laughs> true. Um, so I really wanted to support our local business, and we really like the, the owner there. She was a great uh, neighbor, and I'm sorry that she's far enough away that I can't just pop over and get my... My favorite drinks when I when I want them now. It's a little far of a walk to leave the shop unattended for. Okay, you can put back in seven minutes on the door back rather than back in three. Uh, that's <laughs> that's true. Um, so that was fun. Shout out to the real food shop. They have a lot of uh, of fun stuff now. I mean, they did before, but they're bigger now. Um, the other vegetable ferment that I'm doing is legitimately very strange. Um, the cabbage one I eat, I go through a, a big, big, giant, like two quart size jar of that once every two weeks or something. Um, I put it on my ramen noodle soup, which I eat for lunch every day that Dave doesn't have lunch with me because he thinks it's gross. I don't um, think it's gross. I just don't want to eat it every day. <laughs> but the other ferment, I have no idea how I will use it. Um, but I'm fermenting pumpkin with onion, garlic, cumin, and coriander and uh, hot peppers. So the internet told me that this was a real recipe. We've had a pumpkin that we harvested from our uh, garden and then promptly didn't do anything with, and it just sat on our counter for a month. We've had quite a number of pumpkins. You can only There's, get through so many. Yeah, we we have used pump. We've done pumpkin soups and all, all kinds of pumpkin stuff. Pumpkin soup, pumpkin pasta sauce, got pumpkin pie probably for tomorrow. Yep. So there, there has been a lot of pumpkin. I have not yet fermented a pumpkin. This pumpkin looked like it wanted to be used. Um, so I'm giving it a try. I sliced it fairly thin on the mandolin. Um, I only managed to mandolin one of my fingers, which is pretty impressive. Um, sharp kitchen implements and I don't get along very well. <laughs> um, but I sliced the onion and the garlic really fine as well. And you just put a lot of salt on it. There's conversion things that tell you when you're doing this sort of fermenting um it was three tablespoons of salt for every five pounds of vegetables was the ratio um and so you just you chop up all your vegetables in the size you want them you put the right amount of salt on for how much your vegetables weigh you massage it all around. Wear gloves if you're doing this with very spicy peppers. Um, especially if you've just cut your finger with the mandolin. 
Um, and massage it. So just like rub the salt in, cover the, the big bowl of salty vegetables with a towel or something. So nothing gross falls in it. Um, and then come back in a couple hours and your, your vegetables will have wilted substantially and be in a puddle of their own like water, um, juices. And you may then want to rub if there's not quite enough, cause you want, there needs to be enough liquid released from your vegetables to cover up the vegetables. Um, so if it doesn't look like there's going to be enough, you may just massage it with the, the same amount of salt. Don't put more salt in, but just massage it again to, to let that salt get in there and break down the, um, the plant matter a little bit more. Um, and then you just shove it in a jar, pack it down. Everything should be very clean. Um, you arguably do not have to sanitize things, although I've done enough fermenting um, with beer and wine that I kind of do sterilize. I mean, hot soapy water, and then I do a rinse, and we have a boiling water on demand tap. Um, so I, as hot a soapy water as I can stand, and then after it's all rinsed out, I, I rinse it again in the boiling water with tongs. Um, if anyone's refilling a kitchen, put one of those in. Yes, I would never, I didn't even know those existed and I would never have thought that I would want one, but it's just a, it's a special tap that's there all the time that you just turn the handle and water that is already boiling comes out of it. Um, we, I mean, we drink quite a bit of herbal tea in the winter, but we have a, a cafetiere to make our coffee as well. Yeah, so you just so pour it straight on just, top of the ground coffee. It's great for sterilizing things. And If you're going to make pasta, yeah. you don't have to wait 7,000 years for your water to boil. It's hot chocolate. I mean, it's we use it, I don't know, I probably use it at least four times a day. Yeah, it's the tank is really small on it, so you're not. it's not using a huge amount of energy. It's just a very small, very, very well insulated tank with a very powerful heater in it so you turn it on you get instant hot water it's great yes um and it's not just a normal tap there's kind of you kind of have to push it down and in so you're not going to accidentally bump it with your arm and scald yourself while you're washing things in your um in your sink uh so that's that was the the pumpkin one that i did um i tasted it after it had been fermenting for three days i tasted it yesterday and it Boy, did it taste like incredibly salty raw pumpkin um, <laughs> with a fair amount of heat in it. Um, so it's not when, done yet. You don't listen to the instructions, kids, and test it a week ahead of time. Yeah, the thing <laughs> said like 7 to 12 days or something, but three days is close to seven. Um, it wasn't done yet. I'm glad uh, you're enthusiastic. I, I am. I am enthusiastic. Um, I have no idea what I will do with that one when it's done. Um, we'll see. See what it tastes like. Uh, and S- yeah. Sauerkraut pie? I, there was, there was totally, were totally <laughs> recipes online for like sweet fermented pumpkin, which I don't understand because you still need that amount of salt. That um, The amount of salt is not for taste. <laughs> the amount of salt is so that you don't grow horrible bacteria and molded dye. Um, so you can't leave the salt out. But they put like pumpkin pie spice in with it. And, I, and then they make yeah, it like a raw pumpkin pie with salted... I don't understand. Maybe it's delicious. I hope that it is. Maybe someday I'll try it. But even I, with my love of very, very strange things, I'm skeptical about that one. It's, it's pumpkin spice invading everything again. Pumpkin it's spice true. chutney. It's true. 
Um, the last thing that I did with kombucha, um, is I used it to, as a marinade. Um, again, the one, um, that has kind of gone farther than you would want to drink kind of my backup, um, supply to, to kickstart the ferment, the super vinegary one. Um, I used it to marinate tofu to make a tofu noodle bowl. Um, so I put the kombucha in with soy sauce and hoisin and I never know if I'm saying this right goigon it's the Korean like red pepper um and miso yeah um and some more garlic and onion and and uh that kind of a thing and a pepper a dried pepper a chipotle I think a couple of chipotles um those were too smoky for me I wouldn't put two of them in they I felt like the smoke overwhelmed (laughs) the flavor the other flavors that I was going for um but just then sliced the tofu um it was the already pre like super firm pre-pressed ready to go tofu I never have any luck draining tofu I never get enough drained out of it it's I don't know that stuff's pretty good I liked the the pre-pressed already ready to go we don't eat a lot of tofu we're not vegetarians um but I I legitimately like it and we eat it occasionally every every month or two eat it more often than we eat some meats to be honest yeah um, so I'd sliced it thin, maybe half inch thick slices, and then kind of cut them into fingers, like maybe cut them into thirds again, um, and let them, let them marinate for probably three hours, something that wasn't overnight. It was just the same day. Um, and then we cooked them on our griddle. Uh, they didn't have quite as much kind of flavor as you perhaps wanted them to. I think maybe the, the marinade needed to sit a little bit longer. I think so, and I think it's not I'm, a good flavor. It's just too subtle. Yeah, I I think I didn't put enough other stuff in there. I think I relied on the kombucha to oh. transmit more flavor than it actually it's did. Okay. I came to the rescue and added a little bit of uh, extra hoisin, just hoisin sauce, and uh, some of the spices that Erica had used. Some of the marinade and made just a quick glaze and brushed it over them when they're on the griddle and put them back back on for a couple more minutes to give it a bit more flavor, and that worked really well. So yeah, I think just. If you'd left them a little bit longer, we yeah. probably wouldn't have had to do that. They just needed a little bit more oomph. But then I did it. Uh, had a broth. We had bouillon cubes for a Thai. There's an international grocery store that we go to a lot that we really like. And we like to try new things. But the thing about international grocery stores and trying new things is if labels are printed in a language that you do not understand it's difficult to know exactly (laughs) what you're doing and to use them correctly um so it is 100 user error um but they were basically bouillon cubes for like a faux sort of broth um and uh i don't think i used enough of them so i think i should have i think i should have put in all the whole package instead of only half the package um, as it was a little bit more delicately flavored. So I just made a broth, um, threw in some some finely sliced carrots and some broccoli. Um, Those are like the best carrots I've ever tasted. I ate, they, one, I ate one for lunch today as well. Just gnawed on a carrot <laughs> for lunch? I just took a whole carrot with me as part of my lunch. It was oh, great. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you liked it. Um, and then put it in with... We had done a trip to the international market and we had sweet potato noodles. They were very interesting. Um, I just thought they looked neat. Um, and that was the only information on the package was sweet potato noodles. Uh, when we cooked them, they turned like see-through. They looked yeah, like, like glass the, noodles. The sea- yeah, the see-through glass noodles. Um, they were very 
chewy. Chewy, yeah. <laughs> they were, and they, they didn't really have a yeah, flavor. They were, they were non-offensive. Um, but I think I would do some things differently next time. I think they're better for fried noodle dishes. Or, Instead of like a broth noodle. Um, but it was it was overall tasty. Um, you got some tofu left. I think I'll make some banh mi's later in the week. Yep, the sandwich, the um, Vietnamese, Vietnamese style sandwiches. Sandwich. Uh, we need the right bread for it, and we may try our hand at making our own mayonnaise because that's yeah. something that I've wanted to do for Need a while and we haven't done before so that was me talking forever uh what have you <laughs> been up to what have you been working on for the last three weeks because i did an episode without you oh goodness i can't remember that far back um <laughs> let's start from when uh, you guys went on vacation um so i was at the store just me uh for the whole week but i still managed to get quite a lot done because it's amazing how distracting uh, having two kids on hand is um <laughs> it's almost like you shouldn't try to run a business while simultaneously tending to your two children under the age of three well (laughs) so um i managed to get quite a lot done from uh, various things over the over the last few batches and teaching dye classes i gave my dye studio a good clean out um and we've ordered in some more base uh so we're gonna be dying up another so excited about that this this is not going to be released for a while, but I wanted to get the dye studio ready for when we can when we can get going. Yeah, but we're going to do a larger batch this time. Um, so that is um, it's a beautiful worsted weight uh, silk merino and sea salt blend. It's the same um, yarn, uh, the same fiber blend as was in my spring big box for the luxury skein. Um, that was fingering weight. This is a worsted weight, and I have a lot. We we ordered uh, like two hundred and thirteen skeins, over fifty pounds of it. So we had two huge boxes of that. That will be a really big release. Um, so there'll be more information on that as it comes along. So getting myself psyched for that after our busy winter season. Um, and then at home, I had two days off with nobody to to distract me so i got to work outside in the yard I you had seven oh two days off work days i was like work, you had really. seven days <laughs> two days off work with uh when it was light outside because it's uh getting on for winter now it's it's getting to the point where we don't really have a lot of time after work to um be outside and do anything because it's pitch black oh yeah it's dark walking home like from work now yeah, yeah. um so I had two days outside. Uh, I recently bought a little dump cart for our our little lawn tractor. It's a lawnmower. I feel like tr- once you start throwing the word tractor <laughs> in there, it sounds bigger than it is. It's not even like a zero turn radius mower. It's just okay. a lawnmower. Well, it says lawn tractor on it. Okay. It's one of the little <laughs> John little, Deere it's guys. It's a little John Deere like, lawnmower tractor dude. Um, That's 25 years old that we it, got from my dad. It works fantastically. Um, and it now has a little dump cart companion friend um so i have a little trailer for it which means uh, it's made it way easier for me to clear out brush and haul trash and stuff um so a bunch of debris um that we've had kind of around from various renovation projects at the house uh, we got one of those bags to uh, little dumpster things for the end of our yard and a lot of this was stuff that we've kept from various renovation projects at the house that were wanted to Maybe reuse and decided that no, it really is trash. We should have got rid of it at the time. Um, so I cleared a bunch of that down and then uh, went around and the entire kind of outside of the house just cleared brush. Um, the uh, the yard at the house was not 
kind of tended in the woods very well for several years before we got the place. Um, and it's been kind of a little bit of a labor to slowly kind of clear things back and get it to the point where it feels like it's managed. And now I think around the front of the side of the house, I'm really pleased with. It looks really good. So we have pretty dense trees near our house and it's just underneath them. It's mostly bush honeysuckle, evil invasive species. Yeah. Um, uh, that just takes over. And so it's it's now back to it's just the leaf litter and the trees and all of the, the brush is I, gone. I had help with, uh, from Erica's dad, uh, a few weeks ago going through, we had a big branch of our, um, our old pear tree um, got, came down in the storm and needed kind of helping. So when he had his chainsaw here, I go into help me go around and, and cut down a lot of the kind of smaller dead trees and some of the big limbs and stuff. So I finished kind of uh, clearing all of that up and then went around and cleared all of the brush honeysuckle, bush honeysuckle, all of the brush. There's several, um, we get mulberries come up as well, all kinds of kind of brush plants. So cleared all those out and stacked them up in a great big pile. That'll be ready for once it's had the chance for to dry out over the winter. We'll probably burn that in the spring, get rid of all that brush. Yep. Um, rake the leaves off the driveway, which is quite a big job when we have so many trees in such a long driveway. Um, so I raked all those uh, so the driveway was clear. Um, when Erica got back, we weren't wading through leaves anymore. Now they've mostly come down. It looks really good. It was a big change. Um, it was nice to come home to it, it looking so well manicured. That's not normally a phrase I use about our yard. Yeah, I think it looks way better. We took down the I took down the chicken run from. Um, unfortunately, we lost our chickens to predators a few months back. Um, so I finally got around to uh, taking down the the chicken run, and um, I'm looking for a new home for the for the pen for for the um, the coop for the coop itself, but. Got a couple of people who might be interested in that. Um, we won't be getting any more chickens because Bobby's allergic to eggs, so it, we didn't. We weren't getting through the eggs at the same rate as we were when before she was born and when she was not eating that much solids. So, um, so yeah, I'm really pleased with the way the the yard is looking. I think it really looks way better. It makes me feel much better looking out of our window. I can enjoy the full um, mornings and afternoon sitting out on the porch and it's not so much fall anymore it's snowed at least twice this week (laughs) yeah we did have a nice ice storm while you were away too um yep i was sitting on the beach and you were telling me that it was 18 degrees (laughs) and it was 85 um i did my uh, back to my cooking on my own um method which is i i'm not very good at Lots of people like to make one thing for the week and then eat that all the way through. I I can't cope with that. <laughs> Erica mocks me for it all the time. I just I can't make things easier. Uh, you see a lot now of these uh, nutrition powders that are just shake and go. That that's your entire meal. It's always being advertised. That sounds like some kind of nightmarish future to me. <laughs> um, but what I did do is um, I like to kind of make components that I can use. So I made a. Uh, a tomato sauce for some of our homemade um, tomatoes and use that kind of during the week to make various things. So from that, I can make a pasta. We have we always keep some things like preserved artichokes and olives and things like that on hand. Um, so you can make up a super quick uh, pasta dish with it by um, taking your kind of pre-seasoned sauce, putting that over some cooked pasta, and I just grilled some um, a couple of rashes of bacon 
um, some artichokes and some olives and some fennel that came in our veg box um, all together um, okay, on now a griddle. I'm hungry. Mix that, mix the pasta together. Put that on top, top, uh, top it off with some parmesan cheese, and you're ready to go. Um, I made myself some little uh, kind of baguette pizzas uh, using the same sauce, and then um, we just keep some cheese blend on hand. We had some uh, salami left in the fridge, so you kind of top it off with that. Some olives and capers, and yeah. Did you eat olives for every meal? Olives and tomato olives. sauce. I, I didn't eat olives for every meal, but sprinkle a few in your you breakfast know, you cereal. Know I would if I could. <laughs> so yeah um i actually did uh take an hour or two over the week to um build some models for myself rather than just being in the studio with that so i built... and give a one minute description of what models you're talking about okay in case um, there are new listeners so yeah for any new listeners as well as um the existing listeners who have never known what you're talking about i have no idea um, as well as Nomad Yarns, I have another business called Perpetual Painting. I'm a professional um, model builder and painter, um, mainly for war games. So these are um, little bitty, like tabletop. Yeah, tabletop miniatures games. Um, I'm, I am a war gamer myself. That's how I get into it, is just painting on the side. Um, I do lots of everything from display pieces to armies. I've painted... Um, toys i've painted game tokens all that kind of thing um so i personally play uh horace heresy um which is kind of a fake future historical uh, war game and another game called dark age um which is a small kind of skirmish game where you only play with a couple of miniatures so i was working on my imperial knights for my horace heresy um my next horace heresy army uh, which are big giant stompy robots um so there'll only be seven models in the entire army but each one uh these are 28 millimeter scale so like about an inch to an inch and a half is a, like a six foot dude um these uh, models are about kind of 10 to 12 inches tall so they're they're pretty big in scale terms so I was working on assembling those. I'm doing a little bit of a kind of extra conversion work to them. I want to give them kind of a a very sort of opulent paint scheme, but also have a little bit of kind of steampunk Victoriana um, elements to them as well. So I've managed to get some cogs um, from a place that specializes in kind of um, sculpting pieces and, and steampunk accessories. And I'm... Uh, bending those and fitting them into the armor plates to make it look like kind of cog-shaped filigree um, across the plates of the armor on the giant robot. And then I have um, a roller from the same company that's used to create textures. And this one makes an ancient Greek uh, style floor. So they'll be on kind of mosaic um, flooring that will look like a kind of cityscape or an ancient temple. Um, and I'm going to use my um, resin casting kit to actually take some cake columns. I'll break those up and then cast them in resin uh, so they have more of a rock-like texture. And then um, incorporate those with rubble on the basis. So it's going to be... A, I'm going all out on this project. I'm hoping to get it ready for Adepticon next year, which I've just booked my tickets for, um, at, which will be at the end of March. So that's my project, my personal project for the whole winter is to get this ready. I'm hoping to win a best painted prize this year. We'll see. Um, I got best theme last year for my for my army um, and was pipped at the post for best painting. Um, 
So I'm going was on what now? Pip to the post. Pip to the post. Yeah, I've never heard that expression in my life. Okay, it means it just just beaten. Okay. Um. So yeah, let's let's see how that goes. I'm I'm going all out on this one. I think it'll be a really fun project. I'm going to be using a lot of the elements um, of painting that I learned from uh, the fantastic Matt Kane uh, earlier this year. And he's hoping to come back and teach us even more stuff uh, later next year as well. Sounds good. Um, I'm a little scared of you going to Adepticon again. <laughs> so it's, a, it's always, he's gone for like four days. And I love my children dearly, but it's a lot to to, uh, to cope with them without the, the co-parent help that I'm used to. Um, Hopefully Rowan will be sleeping by then. And then in the studio itself, I've been working on starting A Song of Fire and Ice. Uh, it's a miniatures game that's just been released by Cool Mini or Not. Um, and it's based on the uh, Game of Thrones series by George R.R. R. Martin, um, who I know is really big right now. He's like the Harry Potter for adults. Um, so uh, I know everyone's raving about that. The, the Kickstarter for that game... Um, was incredibly popular as well as the miniatures game. So I've had several inquiries about that. I've got one full set to do with all the Kickstarter exclusives. So I've just painted the giant throne made out of swords. I don't know anything about this universe. I, uh, Neither don't. Dave or I have we, ever we seen do. Game of Thrones. I don't... This is one one fantasy universe. I have no idea what's going on. So I just have to believe the guy when he tells me what it should look like. Um, so giant throne of swords. I've painted that. It looks kind of cool. Um, and then I've got um, the two sides that come in the um, the main box. I think it's Stark and Lannister, maybe. I don't know why you're looking at me. Bark and Canister, something like that. You um, definitely the, know the more red, about the it red than guys me. And, and the um, guys with the kind of black banners and white lions, whatever those two houses are. Um, so I'm working through those and starting to paint those up. I'm just there's a lot of models so I've been working on the bases uh they're gonna have um there's one that's meant to be from kind of the northern region so I'm gonna be um making those have kind of a snowscape to them and make them look really kind of cold on the basing and then the others are a little bit more meant to be from more southern areas so they'll have kind of some grassland so what I've done is I used a um a texturing paste that I made up myself um, from various kind of flocks and, and sand and stuff. Um, I mix that with paint and then um, just Elmer's school glue and use that as a texturing paste. And then I've painted that and airbrushed it with inks to give it some variation. Um, and then kind of highlighted that a little bit and that will be uh, the kind of earth. And then the Northern one will get the snow texture going over the top. And then the more kind of southern warmer climates will get some grass tufts. So actually I have the same base color. So when they're on the battlefield together, they'll match. Um, which would be a kind of a nice look over the whole project. Sounds cool. Um, yeah, I think that's about all I can think to. I've been up to. That counts as a lot. Okay. So Erica, on to your witty knits this week. And I am going to combine the witty knits and sponsored patterns um, because I wanted to talk just a little bit about my sort of design 
uh, process for for doing a pattern like this. Um, so the sponsored pattern for this week's is the Thumbsy Mitts by me, Erica Kempf Broughton. This pattern will be up on Ravelry, and I will make sure to link to that in our show notes. Uh, this is one of our new style patterns. Um, so for about the last six or seven months now, we have been doing the YouTube mini tutorials um, on our YouTube channel. It's just Nomad Yarns. Um, and the pattern links to um, each each time the pattern is, is talking about something and telling you to do something that I know from my experience of almost nine years of teaching knitting classes now um, that I know will be something that people might struggle with or have questions about. Um, I've just done a little five minute-ish video showing just that step. And that video is embedded in the pattern. Uh, You can click straight on it. It will take you right there if you are looking at the pattern on a computer or the pattern um, has a bit.ly address. Um, That's just a very short and easy to type in address. So if you are looking at the paper copy of your pattern, um, you can type in the, um, I think this week's it's going to, or this month's pattern is going to be bit.ly slash thumbsy. So it's very easy to type in so that you can watch all of the videos that takes you to the playlist on YouTube that has all of the videos for that pattern. Um, And we've had a really good response um, to this new style of pattern. So that is the style that we've done on this one. And I think this one has the most mini tutorials of any um, of the... Um, oh, you are doing something really, really weird. It is a, an <laughs> unusual technique. So my inspiration for this was I wanted to do a mitt pattern that was a different construction. So I have done a million billion pairs of fingerless mitts. It's one of the projects that I really enjoy doing um, and that I know our customers enjoy making. And so I've done a lot of them. I, I would say I probably got at least 10. Um, yeah, 8 to 10 probably. And the only way that I have ever seen fingerless mitts done is either you start at the top where your fingers are or you start at the bottom where your wrist is um, and you go the other way. Uh, so you're basically making a tube with a thumb hole. I did not want to do that because I have done enough that way. Um, I enjoy those and I will certainly make them again, but I was ready to do something totally different. And so for this one, I actually, you begin by casting on the stitches for the thumb and you work them from the thumb out. Um, and they're, they go pretty quickly. They are fun and interesting to do. It's one of the uh, styles of patterns that I like for myself personally when I am knitting because I like to learn new things and do new techniques. Um, I don't like to just do the exact same thing that I already know how to do, Uh, but I also like to be successful. And so if I'm going to try a new technique or, or learn a new skill, I really like it to be small enough that if I hate it, it doesn't use up tons and tons of time to do. Um, so to me, fingerless mitts are a great way, um, a great size project to do that in. Um, so this, you, you'll do all kinds of things, increasing and uh, a different style of cast on to cast on in the middle of the row and picking up stitches and grafting um, and bobbles. And, uh, there, there's just a lot of, a lot of elements in here that I think, uh, that people will enjoy. They're really interesting. They, they have a very, very unique look to them. The fact that the, uh, the body of the, the mitt, mitt fabric 
kind of goes horizontally rather than traditionally vertically. And yep. it gives a very so it goes around your hand that. instead of up and down from your wrist to your fingertips. And I think the, the cuff with those little, um, little bobbles on really gives you a little bit more just kind of interest and texture and, and more interesting than just a, a ribbed cuff, which is what you could have done. So, yeah. So I had cool. fun. I think there, there definitely are some new techniques, but there's, um, they are still predominantly stock and knit stitch. So you're still mostly just doing the knit stitch or the knits and the pearl. Um, and as our usual, we are doing the free three for this pattern. Um, if it sounds interesting and you would like your very own free copy, uh, check it out today, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And you can use your coupon code to get a free copy of the pattern for those three days. The coupon code for the sponsored pattern this week is going to be shop small in honor of Small Business Saturday, which will be the day this podcast comes out. So if you're listening on the first day it has come out, go to a local business and buy something from them. And if you're close to us, come on in because we'll be running some specials. Yep, we've got a couple of fun things for uh, Black Friday and Small Business Saturday, um, both of which will probably be over by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> but uh, if you... If you don't want to miss those deals and events in the future, uh, do go to our website, nomadyarnshop.com. Click on the envelope in the bottom right-hand corner, and that will bring you up to sign up to our newsletter. Yep, we did put a newsletter out uh, today that gave all of the details about what we're doing for Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. Um, and our show notes go out each week as an email as well. Um, you can click straight through wherever you are listening on your podcast to sign up for that new that weekly newsletter. Um or you can get just the email that has the information for this exact podcast also in the show notes for the podcast. Okay. And the last segment is Dave's. Uh, we really need to write down our segment titles because neither Dave or I could remember what we called our spinning segments. I think you called it spinning round and round with Dave, which is... <laughs> Which is what Poppy has been making me do uh, a couple of times this week. And it turns out that as you age, you get dizzier from spinning round and round. So I've had to sit down a couple of times and tell her that Daddy can play again in a minute. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was um, occasionally we help people uh, kind of fix up their spinning wheels and get them going. Um, this time I had a, a bit of a unique thing that uh, was a wheel that had not been stored in the most optimal conditions, and it wasn't Ash for Traditional, which is a wheel that we um, still stock and distribute. Um, so I actually helped the lady by renovating uh, her wheel for her and getting it going. Um, so all spinning wheels um, have kind of perishable parts. Now, even if you're storing your wheel somewhere where uh, the wood is going to be safe, if you're storing your wheel somewhere um, that has kind of a lot of sunlight or is kind of particularly dry um, or um, has a lot of temperature fluctuations, like an attic, uh, for example, that can really kind of wear on the, on the perishable parts of the wheel. And here I'm talking about anything that's made of kind of plastics, um, rubbers, anything like that, um, any of the... Um, the drive bands that are made from poly kind of bands. poly bands or cotton yarn um, 
that tends to just not do very well if it's left under tension for a long period. Um, so this wheel had PSA. Been- Pop your drive bands off if you're going to be storing it for any length of time. Yep. So just kick them out of the track on the on the wheel so that they're not stored under tension. So uh, this wheel had been given to her, um, which was very lucky. It was a beautiful, um, very good condition, um, Astra traditional um, from the kind of early 80s to mid 90s from the parts on it. Um, and... It had been stored outside, so it had been stored in in a condition where it was um, it was stored out of kind of the the damp um, and too much heat, but it was an area which it got a lot of temperature fluctuations. Um, so the hot and the cold and the kind of the light exposure that had been moving around over the years just needed a little bit of TLC. So I'm going in the wheel. Uh, what I did is go through and check all of the parts. Um, the first thing is to make sure that all the wooden parts are intact. Um, uh, thankfully, she had absolutely everything we needed. The only thing that was missing from uh, the original setup was just one of the bobbins, which are really easy to replace. Uh, the flyer was in good condition. Um, the conrod, which is the part that joins the um, the treadle to the wheel, um, was uh, still in good condition. That's the easiest kind of part to to um to break if it's moved around a lot because it's kind of a standing vertical piece that's attached to move two moving parts so i've seen um some antique wheels where that's been damaged uh the wheel was still kind of held together well it wasn't any loose parts on the wheel and that would be the hardest thing if we had to kind of um get any joints to fix back together um but all of the other joints on the wheel were were loose um, over time and that kind of temperature fluctuation had basically made the the joints kind of loosen up where they were screwed in. Um, so that was the first thing I had to look at. Um, and then second, the there was no drive band. Um, this was a Scotch tension single drive. So the, um, the brake band was completely um, gone, basically. So the Scotch... A Scotch tension means you have one string of yarn that's go or one drive band or a a cotton a a drive band made of whatever material goes around the wheel and the flyer and then a separate yeah it's it's a separate brake band goes around goes around just the bobbin and what that does is it slows the bobbin in relation to the flyer in the wheel which is actually what makes the, the yarn wide onto the bobbin um, so the, As opposed to an Irish tension, which is the uh, Irish tension is the is bobbin led. So it actually the the wheel, the wheel connects to the, the bobbin, bobbin, and the brake is break on the, the flyer. And then the double drive um, actually ha- drives the uh, flyer and the bobbin with the wheel. So one um, string wraps around, almost as a figure eight, wraps around the wheel two times, and then one time it goes from the wheel to the flyer, and one time it goes from the wheel to the bobbin. And with the double drive, um, what it does is, because they different diameters, they go at slightly different ratios anyway, which helps to wind it on. I generally find the double drive is more difficult to adjust, and I, I like to suggest to people... Um, especially if it's their first wheel, the single drive with Scotch tension. Single tangent. drive is it's my just, preference. It's just easier um, to work with, in in my opinion, and Erica kind of feels the same. 
Um, so this was already set up that way. The um, the brake band is basically it's a nylon thread um, with two um, kind of tension springs. Yeah, it looks like fishing line. One of the springs was completely gone. The other one was stretched out, and the and the um, the thread was really kind of brittle and yellowed. Um, the um, the bearings for the flyer they were about the only kind of plastic part that was in fairly good condition. Um, but I did decide to replace those anyway. Those are, are very important as they make sure your flyer remains level and true and will spin freely. Um, none of these kind of perishable parts, they're basically made to be replaceable over time as they wear or if they get worn out. So though the bearings were the most expensive part and they were just five bucks. Um, so we decided we might as well replace those while we're at it. Um, also, the um, the Conrad, although it was in good condition, was completely detached. Um, so that needed to go and connect to the crank, which is what actually turns the wheel. And it needs to connect to the treadle, which is actually what provides power. Um, so the rubberized part at the bottom had um, degraded. And then the clip that actually holds it onto the, the Conrad, onto the flyer, onto the... A wheel crank was completely missing so there were lots of pieces that need to be replacing um, so what we did um, it, basically all the wheel manufacturers if you're a, a stockist you are able to order the parts um, through their website so that's what I did I went through and ordered um, all the components we needed Ash was very good and sends those out um, very quickly by DHL so we got them about three days later um, from New Zealand, so I was able to start work on the wheel straight away. So the first thing I did is removed all of the parts that were damaged um, or I was going to replace uh, just to make sure I could kind of clean around those areas as well um, as I was cleaning. Um, the wheel obviously had been stored somewhere that was getting temp temperature variations, but it was a storage area as well, so it was very dusty and dirty. Um, what I did was get a um just a soft cloth and dampen it slightly and kind of give it a good dust down you want to get into all the joints um as much as possible um this wheel was lacquered which means i could kind of give it a bit more of a clean and polish um than i'd be able to to an untreated uh, wheel um so i just actually got some um uh, firstly some windex um, the don't use the ammonia kind because that can be corrosive but basically the one that's an isopropyl alcohol spray um, so took some of that again on a soft cloth and really kind of went in that will help to get rid of um, kind of any grease that's built up especially around any anywhere that would be oiled um, so I went through, or in contact with fiber, which has the natural fiber, or in contact with people's hands as well, which has the natural oils on it too. Yeah. Um, so that the alcohol basically helps to cut through the grease. If you have a wheel that's unfinished that hasn't uh, got that finish to it, um, and hasn't been oiled, um, firstly that's something that should have been done when the wheel was new. It should have been treated in some way to protect it. But um, just be a little bit more gentle. Pick an area that's not visible um, if you are going to try and clean it with um, like Windex or alcohol um, before. Would you recommend the like Murphy's oil soap um, on you, an unvarnished? You could do if it's, if it's really, really, um, if it's really, really grimy. This wasn't too bad. It, I don't think the wheel had ever been used that much. It was more kind of getting rid of the old grease from the from the 
the joints and anything that's been sat on it over time. Um, but yeah, you can use a, kind of a stronger soap if you need to. Uh, you can use a detergent. Um, so once I cleaned that down, I then went through and as the wheel was clean, um, went through and actually tightened all of the areas that needed tightening. Um, I'm not sure if you can download the brochures, um, but you would be able to, if you've, if you've lost or don't have uh, the instruction manual, uh, assembly manual that came with the wheel, um, most manufacturers will have that available. You could contact to get them. Um, I'm familiar with putting these wheels together, so I knew where all the joints were, so I've built several traditionals. Um, and we do keep a set of those instructions on hand anyway. Um, but basically went through and looked at all the areas where it would have been assembled by um, the buyer, because um, the wheels come flat packed. Um, I went through and tightened all of those joints. Um, for the Ashford, you only need basically an Allen key and a screwdriver. So that's pretty quick to go through, tighten all those joints up. Make sure the whole wheel's really nice and solid again. Um, once I'd done that, before I fitted the rest of the components and had it all nice and clean and stable, I then basically got some uh, just mop and glow floor cleaner, which is a non-residue floor cleaner, and then gave it a quick kind of buff and polish. Make sure it was really nice and clean and looked uh, kind of factory fresh. After that, as I'd already removed all the components, it was simply a case of getting the new ones out of the bags and fitting them. Most of them, that's really easy to do. They just kind of screw into the slot where they were. Um, some of the pieces, especially the bearings, are push fit. So you may find if you're getting a new set of bearings, especially if it's um, for an older wheel, um, they're designed to fit, but the wood may have warped slightly over time. So I actually kept a piece of fine sandpaper on hand. So when I was fitting the bearings in, I could um, kind of just sand lightly the hole around just to make sure that everything clicked and, and fitted properly without any of the bearings overhanging or any problems with it, the way it sits into the, the slots. And you can just keep your wet cloth on hand as well to wipe any, any dust and debris that you create from doing anything like that. Um, the only two components that are not easy to fit um, are the drive band and the brake band. Um, so these need to be cut to length. I was perplexed was <laughs> as a spinning wheel user more than you. To me, those are the two easiest things to replace. <laughs> the stuff you're talking about is a little bit more uh, time consuming. I've replaced drive bands. Well, a just a bazillion just times. If you've not done it before, okay. those can be a little bit challenging because the um, the lengths of material are not provided um, cut to size and tied. So you're gonna have to go through and do that. Everything else is you unscrew it, um, replace it with the component and then screw it back in, it's super easy. Um, with the brake band to start with, when you're adding, when you're putting that in, um, you do have to make sure your springs are in the correct place and everything's cut to the right length. So whenever they, um, the wheel manufacturers want you to do something like that, they will give you very specific instructions about what you need to do. Um, some um, of the wheels for the brake band actually provide a template or they give you a length between the springs, um, which is ideal for that particular flyer. Um, so if you can find that information before you fit any brake bands, do do that. It's a good idea to have your um, ruler on hand and actually measure out your brake band 
to make sure it fits properly. If you want to eyeball it, um, which is probably what Erica did, I'm sure, because <laughs> um, it does still work. Um, basically, you have two springs. I, it's true. I had <laughs> it wouldn't have even dawned on me to look in a manual to see what length I was supposed to do this. Basically, um, you have two springs that kind of fall either side of the um, uh, of the flyer. Um, so they're going to sit down the bottom of, of the flyer. Um, the, the brake band is going to connect between those two. Then there's a second thread that goes from one of the springs to an adjustment knob. And that changes the tension that you're putting on the springs. So you mount the first spring to its kind of permanent place. It hooks on on one side. Tie the nylon line to it. Then make sure you have a bobbin fitted. You go over the top of the bobbin. There'll be a little guide um, kind of eyelet on the other side go through that eyelet and then leave about an inch or two inches space um, cut the brake band there add in your second spring tie that in um, I tend to use kind of a, um, a double kind of simple shoelace knot like a granny knot um, if you tie it real tight with the nylon um, thread it holds really really strongly anyway um, and nylon thread, it, it's fishing line. Yeah, it it's fishing looks line. just like, like fishing line. If you break it or it comes undone, it's not the end of the world. It will be annoying, but you can easily fix it. Um, the hard thing will be finding the springs that are the right tension. So that's why it's worth buying the kit. The brake band kit's like $2. Um, then you tie your nylon thread to the other end of that spring, put tie it into the adjustment knob, and then... Uh, adjust the tension there so you the street the springs are very slightly just moving um that's where the manuals recommend to set the tension when the wheel is is brand new and you'll learn from there where exactly you want it to adjust yeah you but definitely each don't band, each set of springs is going to be slightly different you definitely from my experience do not want your springs to look as though they are under tension when you start spinning they should look almost completely relaxed yeah. the very 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 tiniest bit Just spread apart very slightest bit of light yeah them. i've seen a lot of people get started spinning that have their the springs are like stretched to within an inch of their life and it's just that's just way too much tension it should there should almost be no tension on those springs um and then the last thing is the drive band now with the astro wheels especially some of the wheels come with a um like a braided cotton drive band almost um, like kitchen twine yeah it's like butcher's twine it's like a wax butcher's twine um and some of the wheels come with standard with a poly band now they do provide um you can buy from a turbo kit which is basically the the poly band kit conversion um with this one i suggested that we do the poly band i just think they last longer and they keep their tension a little bit better i prefer poly bands to the cotton drive bands i don't have good luck i for me the cotton drive bands stretch out so for a week or a month they're fine but they eventually lose some of their oomph and then it doesn't it doesn't spin anymore yeah the poly band just seems to last a bit better um so i did suggest that we fit the poly band that's that's the most expensive kind of part because it's an upgrade um but you're still looking at less than 20 dollars for the kit now with this uh you do need to cut it with to length and it's an interesting setup that you're going to need um either a cigarette lighter or a candle lighter or something um because 
the way you actually attach the polyband together is you melt the ends together. Um, so what you'll need to do to uh, set this up is basically whether you're using the cotton or the polyband, um, set your flyer basically down into its lowest position where it would have the least tension. You're going to run the drive band all the way around the circumference of the wheel, make sure it's actually sat inside um, the widest diameter channel if you have several um, different tension settings there or different ratios and then round the widest ch channel in the flyer if you have different ratios there. Um, pull the uh, ends together until they overlap and then basically don't put any tension on it because you're basically setting up your wheel with zero tension put into that drive band. Pull it across, cut um, your band there. The best way to do that is not actually cut it kind of in situ, um, but make a pen mark with a permanent marker and then cut it with a razor blade and just to make sure it's really nice and clean. Then comes the tricky part. Um, if you're using the uh, cotton band, when you're doing that, you want to leave a little bit of excess and actually just tie a very tight knot and then cut your ends close. Um, if you're using the polyband, you need to heat uh, those ends together. So you have to do this in place because otherwise you won't be able to get it back on your wheel because it needs to go round the wheel which is permanently attached to the crank. So you need to do this in place, unfortunately, which can make well, it Well, not the polyband, you don't. Know. The cotton thread you do because you need it needs to be tied tight. The polyband you can do... No, you can't. You have to do it in place. Because it has to go round the wheel, and then it will have to go round the flyer. So it has to make a complete loop. The wheel's held in on either side by the sides of the spinning okay. wheel. So I'm, you have to do it in place. It's too late at you night. You can take the flyer out um, to make it easier because the flyer can be taken out and placed back in to give yourself some more space. Um, what I find is a good way of doing this is if you have like a tray or a surface that you can um, kind of put across the cross braces of the wheel um, where you've uh, kind of unhooked the flyer that can give you a bit more working space and then it comes with a little um, wooden block um, that's with a channel in that's designed to make it easy to fit your ends together um, so they do say that you're meant to be able to heat the ends then quickly put them on the block and then push them together I've never had any luck with that all I do is end up having to melt it several times to actually get it to work um, what I'll do is actually put the block down, put both ends really kind of sticking up a half an inch away from the block, heat them until they're really melted, um, push the ends straight down on the block and then push them together. Um, it's the, they cool so quickly in the air and you want to make them, make sure that they're as liquid as possible when joining to get the strongest join. Um, so once you've done that it may take you a couple of tries don't worry there's plenty you're not going to melt enough to make it a, a problematic with the tension um and the polyband is fairly elastic so i mean yeah. you've, you've got an inch of play in there to, to yeah, work with at least a huge issue. um once those are melted together you're going to want to take your uh, razor blade again once it's cooled and then just trim down any kind of excess if it's given a little kind of blob just to make sure there isn't a bump in your band. 
Um, put your flyer back in, adjust it to the correct tension, and you're all ready to go. Good deal. Better you than me. <laughs> I'm, I don't enjoy that sort of um, mechanical processing thing. I That's have, what you keep me around for. I have spatial awareness <laughs> issues, and figuring out how to get the the pieces to go back together is not something that I overly enjoy doing. So I'm glad that you don't mind it. Um, and it sounds like you did a lot to get this wheel up and running again. I really hope that she um, gets lots of enjoyment out of her spinning wheel. Yep, and I'm, I took nearly as long to talk about it as it did today. Um, a lot of this is, wasn't didn't take very long, so it actually took only about an hour total to get the whole wheel up and running again. Good, good deal. All right, and we will see you next time. I'm really tired and ready for bed. It's late at night. Well, we hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, ours is tomorrow. tomorrow. That's the wonder of recorded radio. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook on our group Nomad Jana's Podcast, on Instagram as Nomad Jana's, or on Ravelry in our group Nomad Jana's. Find show notes with links to things we talked about on today's show on our website nomadjarnshop.com slash podcast and as i tell all my classes in crafting if you're having fun you're doing it right <laughs>